You'll please take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. As McCartney and I were starting to plan uh, for this Advent, um, McCartney's decision was to, to focus on Isaiah 9, specifically the, the titles that God gives to Jesus as the coming Christ. And so we're going to take these next uh, four uh, times, these next four Sundays, to focus upon the names of Christ, to see what it was that Jesus um, fulfills and is given by God as part of his understanding of who he is and what he's about to accomplish. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 7 um, each week, but focusing specifically on a new uh, understanding of the words uh, that describe who Christ is. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For you have multiplied the nation, and you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with a joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again we come to a time that we know the Christmas story. And so, Father, this can either be a time of great encouragement and great, as we've already studied this morning, great hope. Lord, it can also become a a place where we begin to tune it out. So, Father, I ask that you would give us the Holy Spirit in abundance, that you would allow us to grasp and understand these four titles that you gave to your Son. And, Lord, that we, as it was in those days, that we would be light that exposes in the midst of the darkness. So, Father, you teach us, but more than anything, Father, increase our hope and joy and peace and love this Advent season as we grow closer and closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ, for they pray this in his name. Amen. Let me set the context for this passage. So chapter 8, if you were to read it, gives a very dire prediction It's very dark in its understanding, and it's very um, overwhelming and and overbearing in its understanding. But then it enlightens in chapter 9. And what it talks about is it talks about a sun is coming, and there's going to be a great reversal in the midst of the darkness. Of course, there is a dawning of hope, but the dawning of hope is going to be found in a baby. And if you read this passage, if you paid attention, there are things in here that talks about um, in verse 1 where it talks about in the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. And then we find this fulfilled in Matthew. So these are two of the tribe. And it says, on the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. 
The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. Now, this is important because, again, of these two tribes, they were the ones that were most north and most east. So they were the most open to people coming and invading. So they were the ones that were invaded the first time, and they will be the ones that will find themselves having the Savior come to them. And the Savior will be born, and his name is Jesus. And he comes, he fulfills this, but it also says that there are things that happen in Midian. If you remember the Midianites, these are the people that were destroyed by Gideon. And Gideon, remember, this is a time where God takes his 20,000 and he pairs it down to 300 people. Because God wants us to be reminded, he wants us to understand that it's he who fights the battles. And sometimes I think that gets hard for us because I think we get wrapped up in trying to do things in our own power. We try to do things with our own understanding, our own wisdom. And God comes in and he says, I am the one who's in charge here. I am the one who is the king. I am the one of great wisdom. And so we have to make sure that we keep ourselves in that focus, that we don't get caught up in the busyness of the season. We don't get caught up in, in thinking. I mean, just even this past week, just finding myself going from Thanksgiving and then having to rip everything down from Thanksgiving and put everything up for Christmas all in the course of a couple of days. And then uh, the lights wouldn't work on a tree and all these different things. And just the perspective of, okay, stop. And even in the midst of that, one of the things that, because um, as we were trying to decorate the tree yesterday, uh, we found that the lights didn't work on the old tree. And so I was just like, man, why didn't we check this before we started to put it up and decorate it? And the the wisdom of my wife says, but if we knew that we had to go out and get all new stuff that would have been weighing on us all week and we would have not enjoyed the time together. See, God knew exactly what needed to happen at the right time for the right perspectives for the right purposes. And so we have this understanding that what God does is he comes and he brings a story, but he gives to us these specific titles for Jesus. And so I don't know if you've ever done a study, but this was very eye-opening for me. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the word wonderful. Now we understand that there are things that happen in regards to names. Sometimes it describes the, the rule of the person. It outlines their missions. And we live today in a day and age where names are just, sometimes they're family names, uh, but they don't necessarily describe our function and it doesn't describe our personalities. But there are names that are um, unique in a lot of ways, and it matches up a lot of times for their jobs. So there are names out there. These are real people. There's a Windy Storm who's a meteorologist. There's an Ashley Seawright who's an ophthalmologist. Tom Kitchen is a chef. Miss C. Sharp is a music teacher. Pam Graves is an archaeologist. Alex Barefoot is a shoe repairman. And you have your own pastor, Jeffrey Godwin. Now, those names match up, and a lot of times that's nice and it sounds good, but there are specific things that are going on here with Jesus' titles. And so he's been given the name wonderful. Now, again, we should not use this word as an emotional kind of response. And what do I mean by that? Because a lot of times people say, well, Jesus is the counselor. He's the one that's, we really, really like him. He's wonderful. 
And so we like Jesus. That's not the rendering of the Hebrew at this point. The Hebrew actually means something that is supernatural. It's extraordinary. It's a marvel. And so it should be actually translated that it's not wonderful. It should be that Jesus is a wonder. We should see him in his whole being in person as a wonder. Now, the way I'm going to unpack this is I'm going to take his, his titles and offices of the prophet, priest, and king and try to explain that a little bit as he fulfills this idea of wonderful. So as a prophet, the first thing we see is the words of God. For a prophet is the one who speaks on behalf of God to his people. That was his purpose. And so God has given to us, listen, the wonder of his word. Now, again, this should truly begin to expand our understanding, blow our minds in a sense that the God who created everything so loved us that he gave to us his word. He gave to us a love letter. So we're not having to to go around and, and try to guess and think what God requires of us or what it is that we are supposed to know about God. He's told us. He's equipped us. He's given us the understanding that this is what we should know. And so again, this is something that we should cherish, whether you have it on your phone or your computer, on your tablets, or you hold it in your hand. This is something that people have died for in order that you might receive it and receive it in the words that you can understand. And so God has given to us the wisdom of his word, but he's also given to us specifically his son, Now, again, it's one thing for God to speak to us in baby talk in a love letter that we find that we can hold and carry around. It's another thing for him to give his son, a son that was supernaturally conceived by a virgin. One that was filled with the Holy Spirit to the full. So, again, his person and his being as our Savior is a wonder given to us. And so he's a wonder as a prophet, but he's also a wonder as a priest. Now, as a priest, Jesus becomes 100% God and 100% man. And again, anybody who says that they can explain that to you is lying. We don't fully grasp and understand because we're human. We have a sin nature. So we talk about these things, but we don't fully comprehend it. But their understanding is that Jesus was not just part God and part man. He was fully God and fully man. And he was fully God from this perspective because the scripture claims that Jesus was the son of God. And being the son of God, he was a part of the Trinity. And so even though they're separate, they are all one being. So he is forever God, fully God. So he was never diminished, and he actually shares, if you can look in the scripture, he shares all the attributes of what God was given. But he was also 100% man. And because he was 100% man, he thirsted, he, he ate, he, got, he grew tired. But he also was truly, can identify us in our temptations. Jesus understood everything that we go through. He understands every temptation that we come up against, every trial that we go through. Jesus recognizes, yet he was without sin. And because he was without sin, he therefore becomes the perfect sacrifice. 
Now the priest's role was to speak on behalf of the people to God. And then he would take the sacrifice and he would give it according to whatever the law said. And so if the, the, the sin was big, the cost was big. Sin was small, the, the cost was small. And you could see that. And so you could see as you're walking into the temple, as you're giving things to the priest, you could see what kind of day the people were having. If they were bringing a bull in to be sacrificed, you know there's a big sin. If they brought the turtle doves, not such a big deal. But people could see exactly how your sins were being. Now Jesus comes as that one perfect chief priest. Because remember, the chief priest only got to go in on the Day of Atonement, one day. But he had to make provisions for himself and then provisions for the people. And all of that had to be done by blood sacrifices. But Jesus, when he dies on the cross, remember the curtains ripped in two from the top to the bottom. And he becomes that one perfect chief priest. And he also becomes the perfect sacrifice at the same time. So he offers himself on our behalf so that we might be found faithful and perfect in Christ before God. And that's a wonder that he would do that for us. So we have the wonder of him giving his word. We have the wonder of him giving his son. We understand that he now gives his life as a perfect sacrifice. But he's also the king. Now as a king, he has the right to rule over us. And again, if you look at earthly kings, and again, we live in a society where we have representation in government. And that sounds really great until people become corrupted. And so all of our uh, checks and balances that we're supposed to have in our nation sometimes don't work out. So the really the good government was if you were to have a good king, someone who would rule over you lovingly as a father for his people, and he ruled for many years, that's the best kind of government. And so we look for earthly kings, but most of the kings, and if you go in and you see the least of kings, the reality of who they were were selfish and power mongers. And so they used people in order to fulfill their own longings and desires. But what God does is he comes as the perfect king. And he's not just called the king, he's the king of kings. And it's a wonder that he comes and rules us and he rules us in love. And I want you to truly grasp and understand that and apply that. Because think back when you were a kid, those that are older and those that are our kids. Remember, any of those toys that you have, whether you're into Star Wars or Polly Pocket, Barbie, or different movies that you're into. Now, as you're playing around those, with those characters and you're deciding what they get to do and where they get to go and what they're able to say. If one of those figures looked up at you and said, I'm not doing it. Forget you. And not only that, I hate you. Now, I know how I would respond. One, it would be freaky if the doll's talking to me. But two, that doll would have been, boom, you're done. Dink, you're gone. But why doesn't God do that to us? Why, does, why doesn't God take us who's the only part of creation that looks at the creator and rebels. Because it's a wonder that God gives his son to be the king of kings 
and the Lord of Lords, and he comes and rules over us, and he does it by example of saying, I love you because I love you because I love you. Now go and do the same. So we have this name that Jesus is a wonder. And the second name that he's given is that he's a counselor. Now again, for us, most of us, when we hear the word counselor, we think of a therapist. Because if we're honest, most of us are looking for Jesus to be someone to come and fix us. Takes away our anxieties. Uh, take away anything that's displeasurous in our lives. Anything that, is, anything that we just want to get rid of or help to allow us to just get through life. Because most people who think of therapists are not necessarily going to look for someone to save them. And so when God uses the word in regards to counselor in the scripture, he's given us a word that means advisor. Someone who comes and gives advice. Now we understand it because the president has a group of advisors. He has a cabinet. He has people who are knowledgeable in specific areas and they come and they give their wisdom. So the president doesn't have to be aware of everything. Queen Elizabeth doesn't have to be aware of everything in the world. She has people that can tell her, people who are spot on and the professionals in that area. And so they give their input. But God does need no advisor. He doesn't need anybody to come and give advice to him. He has no need of counselors. And not only that, he is the king who offers perfect wisdom. And he gives his perfect wisdom to us in his book. He gives to us everything that we need to know. And so we have uh, this time where, again, we understand that he's the prophet, again, where he speaks from God to man, but he speaks not in man's wisdom, which, again, we look at Solomon, and he's the one that we are, are given as the, the hope of the great earthly king who, was, who asked for wisdom and was given it. So he's the wise king, and he's still messed up. And so his kids actually take the kingdom and they split it. He goes around and and does a lot of unwise things. But according to the standard of our world, he was one of the wisest earthly kings that was ever given. Well, now we find ourselves in the midst of this passage where Ahaz is king. And Ahaz is not smart. He's a foolish ruler. He goes in self-interest because he has a lust for power. He's quick to go ahead and establish relationships with other countries, not thinking and not trusting in God. And God says, don't do this. And Ahaz goes, well, I'm going to do my own thing. And so what it does is it puts us in a place where, again, Zebulon and Naphtali, all the different places, all the different tribes are overtaken. Why? Because we were not trusting in God. And so God gives us over to our own wisdom a lot of times. And when we trust in ourselves, we start to mess things up. All we have to do is turn on the news to see that to be true. And so we have man's wisdom, but what God gives to Christ in the midst of being the counselor is he gives him God's wisdom. A perfect wisdom, for his word is for all of life. Listen to Psalm 119, 105. For your word is a lamp. Your word is a lamp. Okay. Am I fighting you guys back there? Stop. All right. 
Okay, no. You've got it? Thank you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, again, that does not say it is a strobe light lighting for miles. And I think especially we as American Christians, we think that God's going to answer and give us uh, the wisdom and the understanding uh, for all of our life. Like he's going to answer where we're going to be when we're 90 years old. He says he's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, which means he only gives us wisdom for the moment. So that's why when we get in situations, when we go through trials... God, we don't always have all of the strength, all of the faith at the one moment, but he gives us when, it need, when we need it. That's why when we go through trials, and, and you can hear people say, people that are walking with Christ just say, hey, I don't know where it came from, but I had a peace that surpassed understanding. I don't know. But it's where God gives his wisdom, his power, his understanding. He increases our faith. At the right time. And so he gives to us this, the light unto our feet. And listen, his wisdom is never liable to compromise. Never liable to compromise. He never gives in. He never changes his mind. His wisdom is always perfect. And so as we look at him as a priest, as a priest, one, he knows us. And this is where he does become more like a counselor that we think of in regards to a therapist because he knows us personally. He knows every one of us. And as he knows us personally, his diagnosis of us is proper and true. He knows every shortcoming. He knows every place where we're strong. He, needs, he knows every place that we need courage. He knows everything about us, and so he therefore delivers us powerfully when we trust in him. And so he not only knows us, but then he also still intercedes for us. He continues to speak to the Father on our behalf, and he speaks our heart even when we don't know what to say. Write this down if you're not going to turn to it. Romans chapter 8. Starting at verse 26. But likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes... For those whom foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Jesus, and remember what he does for Peter? He, He says, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I, Peter, Jesus... And praying for you. John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples and he prays for us. And again, that should be a wonder to you this Christmas season. 
that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods knows you by name and he prays for you by name. And sometimes even words that we cannot even begin to fathom or begin to even put upon our lips, he knows our hearts. And so he intercedes for us, but then as the king, he, knew, he knows everything and so he rules over us. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-righteous. He's all-perfect. So he's always the perfect counselor. He always brings the godly wisdom to the situation. So we're never caught off guard. Not only that, he's not only all-knowing, but he's a good father. He's good. And I know not everybody has had good uh, pictures of earthly fathers. I know some of you guys have struggled with husbands that are not good, and so it's hard for you to, to grasp and understand. But God is good all the time, in all ways. Now, does that mean that we're always going to be happy and jumping up and down? No. He allows us to go through trials for our good. But we can always have joy. Because Psalm 103.14 says this, For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. God knows us. He's never forgotten And because he knows us so intimately, he loves and he cares for us. So as we come into this Advent season, I know there are people who are playing Christmas music all the time. Maybe you're playing at the house. Maybe you have it on at work or whatever. Maybe stop a few moments and listen to the words. Don't let it just be noise. But stop and focus and begin to ask the question, how is Jesus becoming a wonder for you this Advent season? And how is he going to be your counselor? Because he brings us what we started the the morning with. He brings us a hope that never, ever fails. It's sure and perfect and good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to this Advent season, Lord, we pray that we would go deep in this understanding of the titles that your Father gave to you. And Jesus, may we marvel that you are supernatural. You are, in the very essence of your being, a wonder. A wonder that comes from God, given to us full of the Holy Spirit. But Father, you're not just a wonder. You are that great counselor. You never receive counsel from anyone else because you're perfect. But Lord, your counsel is perfect to us through your word. And so Father, this Advent season, let us run again fully to you. Lord, that we would go deeper than just simply the Christmas story. Lord, that we would begin to just gather all of the information so we understand just the the little details and the facets of who you are and your character. Lord, that we would grow deeper in our wonderment 
of you. And Lord, that we would grow deep, grow deep in our understanding. So Father, as we remember your first advent and look forward to your second, Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. For this we do pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.